As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know as the West collectively tries to survive the summer, or dare I say, the entirety of the Northern Hemisphere. We have good news. This may well be the coldest summer of the rest of your life. Uh, we're so glad that you decided to spend some time with us this evening. We're excited. We're fans of you, fellow conspiracy realists, and that's why this is one of our favorite times of the week. It's when we get to hear from you. This is our weekly listener mail segment. We are going to learn about some uh, heist in the world of trading cards. We're going to talk about something that... um, that fascinated all three of us in the world of trading cards. You could say it has a ring to it. Uh, and, uh, and we're also going to, we're also going to hear a great anonymous letter explaining some of our questions about the Tupac investigation. That's true. We're going to hear about some inspiring slash hilarious billionaire hobbies before we do any of that, we are going to follow up on an earlier promise from the week previous where we wanted to talk about exorcisms. We got some fantastic letters. Maybe we start there because we teased a letter from our fellow conspiracy realist, Moshe, and we didn't quite get to that letter, but we're going to make good on it now, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, And just to update on those computer issues, Ben, almost as you finished speaking there, uh, my computer made the Riverside recording happen and then it cut off. So uh, 
Ah, but we fooled you this time, Riverside, because I'm recording an audition. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Can't stop the signal. (laughs) That's right. So let's hear the message we were going to read last time from Moshe. Here it comes. Team stuff they don't want you to know. Comma. I recently finished listening to your episode regarding the Exorcist files, and I have to admit I'm a little disappointed that Ryan didn't reach out to another community that also practices exorcisms, the Jewish community. That's right, conspiracy realists and hobbyists. The Jewish people also practice exorcisms, specifically casting out a type of malevolent spirit known as a dibuk or a dibuk, D-Y-B-B-U-K. Though at times, demons are also the perpetrators. Oh, those pesky demons. The practice can be traced back as far as King Solomon, makes sense, and is still used in the circles of the orthodoxy, but widely hushed or laughed about by the modern conservative and reform movements of Judaism. Now, common knowledge would direct you to the 2012 film The Possession, which is allegedly based on a real-life object known as the Dybbuk Box, which was supposedly a Holocaust relic portable wine bar. It was passed off as an quote, inspired by a true story, unquote, account of Jewish exorcism. However, the account was confessed to be a hoax by the original owner of said box. Well, that's kind of disappointing, everybody. All right, well, let's get back to it. Actual Jewish exorcism, though? Well, the Catholics had to get their ideas from somewhere. How would I know? Because I have personally witnessed such an event. Ooh, guys, get ready. Here it comes. Let me give you an overly simplified look at it. By my experience, a Jewish exorcism is performed in the presence of a minyan, or a prayer gathering of ten or more men, using tools such as smoke or burning sulfur to tempt the spirit out, a tifflin, which, uh, guys, this is a term I was unaware of until we got this message, so just quickly uh, talk about what that is. Uh, Tifflin... the string, right? Or like the thing that that goes around the belt? There are these... Tiny black leather boxes. That's right. Sorry. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I didn't, I get, honestly, guys, I had no idea what this was. Tiny black leather boxes. They contain excerpts from Deuteronomy and Exodus written in Hebrew, like inside the box themselves. And then those boxes are attached to leather straps, which are uh, wrapped around the body. And often one is placed like on the head, on the forehead somewhere. And another one is often placed on the arm and, that is that is to place them close to your mind, basically, and your heart. So when you pray, the word of God is close to your body. If you are not familiar with this practice uh, and you are a fan of film in the West, you may recognize the use of this or the appearance of this uh, process in the film Pi. Absolutely, Ben. That is a great example of where you can see these. Uh, uh, perfect. So let's go back. To the message here from Moshe, another thing that's used during a an exorcism in this faith are blasts from a shofar. Just another term, make sure everybody knows what it is. A shofar is a musical ram's horn. And if you're a fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm and you've seen season 11, you've seen a hilarious cameo of a shofar in episode four, The Watermelon. Fantastic episode. And back to the message. Also, passages are read from a Torah, and just the presence of a Torah is important, and even prayers and psalms that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Fascinating stuff. Uh, The Dybbuk, or demon, is then identified 
and the rabbi uses its name to command it out. That's very important. That goes back to King Solomon's stuff, the lesser and uh, the other keys of Solomon. It, it's all about identifying what, you know, creature is inside there, at least according to those who believe that there is an actual demon or dibbuk or somebody in, you know, something possessing a person. That's interesting if you think about like uh, fairy tales too, like Rumpelstiltskin's all about like naming, you know, the name, having someone's name. Uh, it's almost like implied to have to give you power over the thing. I, I just think it just made me occurred to me that perhaps some of those tropes in literature and, and fables and stuff are pulled from from this kind of, you know, culture. Mm hmm. Oh, agreed. Uh, let's go back to the message here. In some schools of thought or philosophy of Kabbalah, if dealing with a Dybbuk, there may be an attempt to, quote, repair the broken spirit to make it pure and whole again. Fascinating stuff. The idea of repairing someone through that process, not just, you know, uh, making an entity leave. Right. Back to the message. A Jewish exorcism is typically seen as successful if the rabbi and minyan witness bleeding from a fingernail or toenail, or if the spirit violently exits from the throat, uh, the nether regions, like the uh, sexual parts or the rectum, and the afflicted shows an immediate change in behavior. Fascinating. Continuing here, I should note Jewish exorcisms are not always successful, though I know very little of what happens in such an event. Anyhow, I thought you'd find it interesting that the practice of casting out evil spirits and demons isn't just limited to Catholics and Protestants. If you'd like to hear about my personal experience witnessing it, feel free to reach out. You can call me Moshe, should you choose to read this on air. L'chaim. L'chaim. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome because we, um, you pointed this out in a previous listener mail segment. Matt, we, we spoke uh, about uh, several non-Christian, non-Judeo-Christian exorcism rites and things like um, exorcism in in the Muslim faith, right? We talked about exorcisms in other parts of the world. This is a, a common practice. That I just want to personally uh, thank Moshe for for bringing this to uh, bringing this to us and giving us the opportunity to talk a little bit more about this. This is this is something that is eternally fascinating. I'm thinking like the Screaming Girls of Malaysia episode. That research was crazy. I'm thinking about um, just all all the different ways uh, that people have pursued to cleanse themselves and others of unclean spirits in their cultures and communities. What was your initial reaction when you first read this letter? Well, I received this message just as, you know, Something that fascinated me, I guess, because I didn't know much at all about this uh, topic of exorcism within Judaism. And um, I don't know. Just wanted to learn more. I mean, and I, I knew a little bit of this stuff. I certainly knew the concept of a Dybbuk. Um, but the specifics, and I love the the cultural specificity in ritual, because essentially, yeah, it is, you know, an exorcism by any other name, I guess, or whatever, like whatever you want to call it. It is ultimately just interacting with a foreign, malevolent, spiritual being, right? And we know, we talk, I do believe we talked about it in the episode, um, this is in all kinds of other cultures, you know, and, you know, um, since the beginning of civilization, since the beginning of time, we've seen evidence of ritual, evidence of um, 
the belief in demonic spirits that need to be cast out, whether it be, you know, voodoo or, or, or what have you. There's any number of examples of this throughout, you know, the, the record that we have. Yeah, yeah, like it was a hundred percent. Like I was saying earlier in our uh, our previous explorations of this idea, um, just like I said a second ago, we find every single culture, especially older cultures, will have some means of addressing spiritual malady. In some cases, like in very early cases, um, very early Buddhism, for instance, you'll see there's the idea of recitation of verses and holy scriptures to ward off or cleanse a place or person of danger or misfortune. So very much exorcism is not solely a Catholic thing. Pretty much any spiritual community has some version of that, which I think is fair to say. Absolutely. And with that, we'll take a break, hear a word from our sponsor, and be right back with more messages from you. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean! Run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was. Before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank <laughs> you. 
And we're back with another message from you. This one from you, Captain Proton. That's right, Captain Proton. Uh, and it's just a couple of links and a headline in the, in the subject. Thieves steal $300,000 worth of trading cards at convention. Uh, and a link to that. And then another link to something that we'll talk about momentarily. So there's a link to this IGN article, lovely video game website that I've been enjoying for many years. Uh, thieves steal $300,000 worth of trading cards from North America's largest board game convention. Um, apparently, this is a convention um, that was started by one of the creators of Dungeons & Dragons, um, which is kind of cool, right? Um, and it's called Gen Con, and it is one of the biggest uh, events in the industry. Uh, they were actually debuting a new Disney trading card game called Disney Lorcana, Lorcana. Uh, but unfortunately, that unveiling was not really what made the news. It was this heist. Um, and I'll just read from this IGN article uh, from Ryan Dinsdale. Uh, quote, the alleged thieves reportedly acquired a pallet jack before removing a pallet of trading cards while vendors were setting up their Gen Con stalls. Um, the uh, Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department said the cards were moved to an unknown location and remain missing. And you can actually see uh, some images, some surveillance images of, of these these card thieves uh, making the rounds. Um, so they, the people are on the lookout. Let me see if I can find it. There's a, a version of it on The Verge. Yeah, the guy's name, by the way, was Gary Gygax. Gygax, an amazing name for creator of Dungeons Dragons. So this, this con has been running for a very long time, Gen Con in Indianapolis. Um, and yeah, one of the guys looks to be wearing... I don't, it's not a cost. No, they're not in cosplay or anything. They're just kind of wearing kind of regular cool guy outfits, sunglasses. They got their little neck uh, lanyards on with their, so they're obviously attendees. You got to wonder if it was just a crime of opportunity or if it was an inside job or what. Uh, and it looks like, so these are pallet, you know, pallets, like shipping pallets. So it's a pretty hefty volume of cards. So it's not like they stole one that was worth, you know, $100,000, which we know is a thing. This is like a serious uh, stack of cards that were, you know, like the kind you, you get shipped from a manufacturer. Um, it is... Um, likely that there were some Magic the Gathering cards in there. I know that's your your thing, Matt. Um, also, Pokemon trading card game uh, cards. And there, it was speculated there were some of these Disney Lorcana cards, but Ravensburger, the company that makes this game, uh, said that all of its product had been accounted for. Uh, and, that, and, you know, and apparently that rollout did go quite well because, uh, you know, attendees waited around 16 hours for uh, the cards to be released. Um, and this was, like I said, a pre-release venue for this. So, look, I know this in and of itself isn't we, we've just done kind of a slew of weird thefts uh, in the last handful of months. We had, uh, of course, uh, uh, the subject of our recent word of the day, dentifrice. You know, there was a, a theft of, uh, of toothpaste, I believe, in Canada. Um, we had some rare gems that were taken from a gem show or from a truck in transit to a gem show. That did kind of seem like a crime of opportunity because I think folks went into a gas station to use the restroom and uh, maybe even take a shower. But um, this one's interesting. And, and it, it, to me, it just kind of made me think of the idea of value, you know, because 
I'm not a gamer in this way. I don't play tabletop games. I'm, I'm not into the trading cards. But Matt, you do often refer to this world as a bit of a money pit. Like if it's something that you want to go all in on, you got to be willing to drop some bread, right? Yeah. Well, um, I guess you put it this way: a pack of cards. Now it's it's tough because. Wizards has changed the way they price out cards because they have a bunch of different types of cards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Apologies. Yes. Um, Slash Hasbro. They've uh, they have way more expensive cards now, like collector's editions that are not your standard five dollars for 15 cards that used to be kind of just what you would get or, you know, between four and five dollars. And then Pokemon cards are very different because you only get 10 cards plus maybe an extra EX or or whatever inside that pack for pretty much the same price. Uh, but those collector's ones are like 12 bucks a pop for 15 cards, so almost a dollar a card. And that's the uh, booster pack they're conventionally called. Yeah, or, or collectors or, or what they uh, they have all kinds of different names now. I'm sure we'll get a message from Wayne out there, our our favorite uh, <laughs> voicemail guy from Philly, officially. Oh, uh, you know what? Later in this week's listener mail segment, I can I've got a booster pack of the conspiracy magic cards. You want to open them on air? Later? Heck yeah. All right. We need to do that on TikTok slash the Graham Grams. Oh, well, that's a good call. Maybe so. Maybe we'll reserve that. I got a couple packs. There you go. Well, there there were a couple of other stories that were mentioned in this Verge article by Wes Davies. Apparently, uh, in earlier this year, um, in a store in also in Indianapolis. I guess Indianapolis is like a gaming hub of some kind. Um, in a suburb called Brownsburg, uh, some folks broke into a gaming store and then they they threw around fifteen thousand dollars worth of magic cards into a pizza delivery bag. So for that, that had to have been stuff they were pulling. That maybe those like single cards that if you go into like a book exchange type place or like one of those stores, they'll have cards like in some sort of plastic like on their own. Those can be hundred dollars for one of those. You know, if they're like collectibles or whatever. Um, and that so so to, to to fill a pizza bag with fifteen grand worth of product. Those would have to be some pretty high value individual cards, I would think, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like how, how we bo- uh, both uh, the tabletop nerds went, yeah. You know, like you could hear us, you could hear us slapping the inside of our elbows, like, mm, which cards were in that pizza bag? Uh, it's true. No, you're absolutely right. This is. This is a huge industry, and if you think about it, you talked about the high stuff we looked at earlier. Um, we should also uh, we should also name check some of the laundering things we mentioned. And you you started with such a beautiful question: What is value? Right? Not too long ago, a specific type of stuffed animal, the Beanie Baby was huge, right? Not too long ago, the NFT, just a digital concept was huge. Value is out, outside of um, physical necessities. Value is largely a social concept, right? So I, I would ask, um, how, how long do you, do you see this immense valuation occurring for trading cards like uh, baseball cards i haven't kept track of baseball cards in a long time but those are still worth a lot of money right 
I mean, I guess the market determines it, like what people are willing to pay. Or, or Matt, when we were off mic, you mentioned just, of course, this is, you know, the same as, as why shiny objects are, are expensive because they're rare. And so the rarity just in, inherently imparts value. But, um, Matt, we talked a little bit, too, about this something called a, a Black Lotus card. Um, the artist, I think, that designed it, Chris Rush, there's like a signed copy of it that the uh, um, pop artist uh, Post Malone who also did a fabulous turn as a voice actor in the new Ninja Turtles movie. Uh, he played um, one of the weird little mutant creatures that hangs out with Superfly. Uh, but anyway, he paid, I think, $800,000 for a signed Black Lotus car, which is uh, on what's called the reserve list, meaning that it's probably never going to be reprinted again. Um, and then he recently, I think, spent over around $2 million post on a The One Ring card, which sounds to me like a, is that like a Lord of the Rings Magic the Gathering crossover? Or, and what what, what yes. made this particular card special? Because I think it was something different about it, with the one that he got. Yeah, it's a, it's a set that was put out. Um, I think it's called Tales of Middle Earth, and you could buy like boosters of it. And the whole allure of that specific card is that you could, oh, this is, sounds so nerdy. God, okay. <sighs> Let's say you buy a pack of magic cards. You get 15 in there. You've got the Lord of the Rings set, right? There is only one rare card in that pack of cards. It can either be a 99 cent rare, like most of them. It can be a mythical rare, uh, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, there are many fewer of those printed per set. So there's a much lower chance you're going to pull one of those. Or it can be one of these specialty versions of like a mythical rare or something. And in this case, there was, I I think this is correct, guys. There was only one card that was printed in this specific fashion uh, of this one mythical rare card. Right. Yeah. I was talking with you about that off air. There are, there are multiple iterations of what's called the one ring in that new set. And, um, they have the mechanic of it is making you invulnerable for one turn. And then you have something that represents the burden of carrying the one ring, but out of all those rings or cards that were printed, there is one singular card, one off, um, there's no other card like it. Uh, it's actually <laughs> the the language on it is the same language, or it's made in the same language that the One Ring is made of in the, or that is inscribed uh, on the actual One Ring in the Tolkien novels. And somebody found it. Somebody found it. It's like it's even cooler than finding one of the golden tickets in Charlie and the, the Chocolate thing. Factory because there's just one. Pretty crazy. I mean, it, it, it goes with the, the the name. You know, it is the One Ring. So yeah, this guy Brooke Trafton found it. Like you, you set it up beautifully, Matt. He found it in the pack, and it was he called the shop where he got it from and asked them how how he could uh, verify it. And he said they actually initially hang hung up on him because they thought it was a prank. But um, once he verified it, he immediately put it in a safe deposit box and then he got himself a lawyer uh, and this is essentially like a winning the lottery kind of situation but the value of it though is only determined by who will pay that for it yeah it's is rare yeah there's only one but it's not of any value unless someone steps forward and pays for it and apparently a meet and greet uh, at a post Malone show um, 
turned into him just casually mentioning that he had this card and uh, Post asked what the, the current bid was. And he said, yeah, I'll take that. Wow. You know, that's so awesome. It's it's really cool, and then again, Post Malone. I actually think some of his tunes are cool, and he, I like that he uh, does these kind of rock and roll type covers too. And he's got a cool voice, and again, loved his, his voice acting in the, the the Turtles movie. But he seems like a good hang, and he 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 obviously has got more money than he knows what to do with. And why why shouldn't he pay two million dollars for a car? I ain't mad about it. You know, I get no. maybe a little mad. I don't know. Whatever. Well, well, I, I think it's just tremendously cool because he has the means to change this person's life, That's this right. other person's That's life, right? Point. And he yep. and he used that power uh, to buy a magic card. I just wish I would have known pre Malone because uh, he plays magic all the time, and I would have hung out with him uh, exactly. for sure. But uh, now that he's post, uh, you know, I'm just intimidated. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's, also, I mean, there's a related story on this BBC thing about how he helped some Glasgow singer uh, pay for a deposit on his house. So it does seem like Post Malone is in the life-changing game to a degree and that he uses his wealth for good in, in a lot of situations. And it's not necessarily just about wanting to have stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's that one. I think that's probably a fine place to leave it. A little bit of a shorty, uh, sort of a feel-good story. But yeah, value. It's it's uh, ever elusive. And as we know, you know, like your point, Ben, I think absolutely on point. Uh, the NFT bubble has burst at this point. People are losing their bored apes left and right, or they're just tanking in value. And it's not that much different from like the stock market, or you know, it's all about what the market will allow. And just capitalism in general is sort of like a a little bit of a dice roll, uh, especially with, you know, I don't know. There is a certain long-term balancing act that takes place. Uh, and certainly we cannot always expect that a magic card will hold that value. But uh, these are cool stories. And it does make you think of kind of the nature of what is something worth. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and then come back with one more message from you. And by the way, thanks to, uh, thanks to Captain Proton. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, huh? oh. run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top 
of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned. Uh, We're going to start with an answer to a question. Um, And this is is on me. I I earlier asked why it seems that high-profile celebrity cases of crime seem to be solved so much more often and seem to have so much more attention Put on them. And this is why we're grateful to our fellow conspiracy realists, because we can ask these questions. And so many of your fellow listeners are experts who do have answers. That's where I want to start tonight. We received a letter from someone who, by necessity, is anonymous. And uh, we're going to share this with you, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. It starts this way. Greetings, gents. Long-time listener, I want to shed some perspective on why it seems like celebrities or high-profile cases seem to get more attention than normal. In the case of celebrities, like your Tupac reference, new leads and information are brought to light by books and shows. That is the main reason those cases seem to garner more investigative attention. It's not so much a preference as it is the information fed to investigators. More exposure of a case means more information for investigators to review. I hope this can restore some faith in law enforcement for you. Like most else, the bad seems to get the most attention, but the majority of us still want to make our communities a better place. This comes to us from a longtime military veteran, current LEO, law enforcement officer is the nomenclature, uh, and asked to remain anonymous uh, due, of course, to privacy and safety concerns. But I wanted to Stop there. Oh, they end by saying, can't wait to hear your take on the recent UAP Congress hearing, which we did an episode on. Um, I want to stop there because I thought that was a pretty great explanation, right? Like we we talked with uh, we talked with people uh, from Lava for Good who pointed out that their investigations lead to exonerations and breaks in cases. So it's maybe it's not so much an idea of um, 
you know, celebrity worship or something. It's just that more eyes are on the case, more minds are on a case because someone's a public figure. So you are more likely to discover things. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I just thought that was, I thought that was a positive way to look at it. Anyhow, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts, folks. Uh, I think that's a pretty, pretty plausible explanation, honestly, for a lot of this. Uh, And it doesn't solve the issue, which is clearly an issue, but it's good to know that there is an explanation. It's good to know that there are people attempting to solve crimes. Now, of course, again, we're going to hold to the earlier point that people should be able to reasonably count on closure, um, especially if you are the survivor of a horrific tragedy or you lost someone close to you. We all want these cases solved. And hopefully, hopefully justice uh, is a gear that grinds slow but exceedingly fine, even here in 2023. So here's hoping even if you if you are a loved one or not a celebrity, uh, there will be justice when there is a crime committed against you. Oh, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. I, I just I, I have to mildly push back against the message. Okay. And, and, and it's only because I'm thinking about something like the Zodiac killer case. OK, so there have been there's been so much investigation that is not law enforcement based through media of all shapes and sizes and forms, private investigators, authors, et cetera. And there's a ton of information headed to the police department. Just in the case of the monster show we made, we were attempting to interact directly with several police outfits um, in Benicia and Vallejo and in San Francisco and attempting to not, we don't, we understood we couldn't, take information from their active investigation, but it was the, there was no real, there was no real communication. It was just, Hey, no, we can't talk about any of this. It was a black box because it was still being investigated. So I don't understand how more stuff being brought to law enforcement's attention is actually going to change the factors very much of the investigation if the you know law enforcement isn't willing to chase down some of those leads and often it's no no individual's problem within let's say the San Francisco Police Department they're at the the halls the hall of justice they just don't have the staff to send on the wild goose chases that you know our and other productions were kind of stirring up in the debris of the bottom of the lake Berryessa and all that stuff anyway it's just um it's interesting to think about it that way. In hindsight, if you reopened a case, kind of how they did with the Atlanta child murders case, they're they're reopening many of those cases to look at them again and look at new evidence, re-examine old evidence. That's cool. That makes sense. I just don't see that happening very often. Right. Like this might not a hundred percent explain the clear prevalence of uh public figures getting more investigation, right? Like, I, I think both of those perspectives are valid. And it's true that there are there are clear discrepancies. Every LEO can say the same thing. There are clear discrepancies between the amount of crimes committed and the amount of crimes solved. And that uh, that can lead to some egregious things like trying to close cases, getting 
getting people who are already locked up for life, like Henry Lee Lucas, to confess to crimes they could never have possibly committed just to close the books on something. And that, you know, folks like that might say they, you know, what's another murder? They might cop to that falsely just so they can get uh, a couple amenities, right? Um, there, there are a lot of intervening factors here. We just wanted to give some airtime to one one explanation, and it's not a silver bullet explanation. It doesn't solve the problem, but we just heard from a person on the ground in the trenches who is saying we get they're saying they get supplied more information when there's a public figure. And Matt, what you're saying, I think, is equally valid, which is, hey, also, a lot of these uh, non-LEO sources might be doing good reporting, good investigation, and then they sort of get stonewalled, right? They get dismissed uh, in one way or another. Or what's that? What's that line? The the don't want to talk about it line is something like, "We do not comment on ongoing investigations." That's right. That's the one. Yeah, I, I think there's more. Yeah, I don't think it's stonewalling on purpose other than how can they trust the information coming from journalists, no matter who it is. And unless they put the time and effort and money into investigating it fully. Right. And those three resources might not exist to be applied there. Right. Uh, but then also, yeah, you raise a great point, which is every time, <laughs> not every time, but often when police uh, or law enforcement release details about some, like the most horrific criminal you could imagine, uh, ongoing suspected serial murderer, then they get a lot of prank calls, essentially, or a lot of calls or contact from unstable people, paranoid people, people who can't prove what's going on. They'll even have people cop to being the criminal just for what, attention? Yeah, I, I don't mean to go keep going back to those cases, guys, but... The number of calls that came in to the APD and the task force during the Atlanta missing and murdered investigation of people who were like, yeah, I, I know Wayne Williams. He tried to abduct me in this very specific set of circumstances. Mm. And then investigators, once they get that tip, they have to investigate. They go in and it's complete BS. And we're oh, talking yeah. hundreds of resources. Yeah. What an awful thing to do to really just slow things down. And that's. Oh, I can see how I can make somebody very jaded. Yeah, and how do you how do you cut past the noise, especially when we're considering with those kind of investigations, even before they're reopened, there's a ticking clock, right? If there's a killer out there, then like you said, Matt, you can't say no uh, to even the most cockamamie stuff. You have to give it at least a little bit of due diligence because you don't want to be the one who missed, who was asleep at the switch, right? So the, this is deep water. These are heavy stakes. And we appreciate this input because it's a dilemma. It's something that no one has 100% figured out a solution for. Unless you have one, we'd love to hear it. Stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, 1-833-STD-WYTK, You know, if you got the answer, look, Tell us, and we will broadcast that to millions of people because we all need the help. Always like to end a little spoonful of sugar. So uh, <laughs> now, now here's something 
completely different. Now that we've just asked everybody to solve crime, just solve the idea of crime for us, uh, recently did an episode on strange billionaire hobbies and just thought as a fun little little palate cleanser, we could read a couple of those billionaire hobby ideas. You guys down for that? Yeah, Absolutely. let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So this this one ended with asking for um, this one ended with asking our fellow conspiracy realist if you had specifically one point eight billion dollars. So not too many billions. One point eight billion dollars. What would be your weird hobbies or your weird pranks you would do? Uh, do you guys want to hear? The inspiring ones first, or you want any of the funny ones first and the inspiring ones after? Ooh. Uh, can we do a mix? Sure. Yeah, let's do a mix. A blend? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've got one that says, I'll keep these anonymous in case these folks need to uh, protect their ideas. Uh, what, here's, a, here's a funny one. Quote, I would sign people up with really obscure magazine subscriptions like Miniature Donkey Talk Magazine or Girls and Corpses Magazine. I signed a person up for a trial of Portable Restroom Operator Magazine a few years ago. They're still getting it today and still have absolutely no idea why they are getting it. I even changed the address they had on file when he moved. And his response was, they keep finding me. So signing, using you know, millions of dollars to sign a bunch of people up for random magazine subscriptions. That's just mischievous, if you ask me. And <laughs> the funny thing there is, I mean, uh, aren't, don't people just kind of get random magazines periodically anyway, without even having to do anything? <laughs> periodically. Oh, goodness, my gracious. Yeah, occasionally, I'll just get free copies of Esquire. And I'm like, can you please stop sending me these? I'm not paying for them, but just please stop. I just feel like it's wasteful. I, mean, I, I do recycle them, but. <laughs> well, good on you for recycling them. Um, what do you, what do you think, Matt? Would that pass uh, your your billionaire prank threshold? No, no. I want to hear the next one. That's this one does not pass. Okay, uh, I'm just joking. No, it's pretty good. I, I just yeah. Let's. I that was just pretty hear good. That's pretty yeah. good. Okay, okay. Um, let's see. Another another person says, uh, my billionaire hobby would be to feed, house, and educate people. These are probably ideas I got from you. I live in the St. Louis, Missouri area where there are food deserts. I would open small stores with fresh food. I know this food goes bad, so we give away what doesn't sell. Uh, there are lots of vacant properties in my city that could be fixed up or built on. I would buy and rehab these places with sustainable technology. I would sell these homes to people renting smaller rundown places. I would fix up rundown apartments and hotels to house all the homeless. If only Zuck and Elon, Elon thought like that, you know, <laughs> and that's a great plan. And when I hear this kind of stuff, all I can think of is just these freaking idiots arguing about having an MMA fight in Vegas and how now, because it's just become so embarrassing. Like, oh, but it'll be for charity. But it's like, well, maybe just like do charity. Why does it have to be about your stupid egos? It's just, uh, and, and I and, and I guess the sad thing is, is like people would just say, "Well, this is just, it's just not done." You know, oh, it's not, okay. su it's not sustainable. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've got all this money, but I would be setting a weird precedent if I did something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it it's it's cowardly. You know, 
I just don't think anyone should have that much money and be allowed to just just have all that, you know? I mean, when, when there's so many people that for no reason of anything they did are just suffering and, and living in, in squalor and, and, and in difficult situations. It's a system that's designed to, to cause people to fail. And it's, it's strange that acknowledging that fact may make some part of the population look at us as extremist partisans or radicals. We are being objective with that. And anybody who is interested, anybody who's a proponent of trickle-down economy, you might be interested in its original name, which was the horse and sparrow economy. Don't feed all the animals in town. Feed the horses. And if they eat enough, they'll poop out some so, something of value and the sparrows can eat the poop. Or that the is, crumbs, you know? Mm-hmm, that's the very, I mean, it's... it's you're right. And I'm not some kind of none of us. I think are radical liberals of any stripe or, or, or social propo- proposing any kind of socialism or whatever necessarily. I don't know. Some forms of it, it does seem there are some not horrible ideas, but uh, it's just rampant, unchecked capitalism. I, I don't think anyone would argue is a great, awesome idea. Maybe some people would argue that, but I think they'd be missing the point. Well, Ayn Rand would, but she's terrible. Uh, so there's, a, there's, uh, one more, let's do one more fun one. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Quote, I would hire a troop of professional clowns to stalk at a distance. People like my younger brother and a couple others, they would stalk. But what of those things where you don't actively see them, you might notice them out of the corner of your eye or a few rows back at a grocery store. Once in a while, they make eye contact and do that little kid finger wave at you. And disappear. $1.8 billion. That's your choice, man? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do one of those the game type scenarios, mm-hmm. you know? Just create an elaborate ruse just for one individual's benefit. Or, or mm-hmm. Truman Show it? it. Yeah, well, Truman Show. Something like that. Just just, just go, go over the top. Go absolutely ham with the most elaborate prank you could ever imagine. <laughs> You, Matt, you got a billionaire prank? I approve of yours, though. I think that's great. Thank you. Thank you. I really like Matt the would buy a single magic card. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's my from dream. Post Malone. Yeah. Yeah. I'll yeah. take bil- it now. Yes. My billionaire hobby is not Magic the Gathering. My billionaire hobby is this one magic card. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, why is my billionaire hobby got to be different from my thousandaire hobby? Right, is, right, right. Yeah. Know your roots, man. I respect mm-hmm. that. No, you know what I'd do if I had that much money? I would buy Magic the Gathering from Wizards of the Coast, mm-hmm. and I would make it half price, not okay. be you know publicly traded or anything like that, so I don't have any shareholders, and operate at a loss until all the money is gone, so that everybody could just play Magic the Gathering yeah, for an affordable not, price. It's not about the money. It's about sending a message. I fucking love <laughs> well, you, dude. Matt, Matt, I want to double back to, to something that I kind of missed in that segment um, when we're talking about value. Are these high price cards used in play? Are they used in tournament play? Or are there some of them that are so overpowered so that they're not even like allowed that it's more about the collector's market? Black or is Lotus it about. Is not tournament, okay, term, tournament legal. Right. And and also, if you want people to play the game, isn't there an online version of the game that you can play for not a bunch of money? 
Yes to all of the above. If you want to play with a Black Lotus, you can in certain tournaments. If you're just <laughs> playing with friends. If you want to play in historical <laughs> battles, you can use some of the other cards that are banned in other <laughs> formats. If you're playing standard, then you can only play with the last, like, six versions right. of the cards, the six sets. Mm, if you're playing Commander... Sorry, there's mm. lots you of rules. You can play MTG Arena. Arena is the online version, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. speaking of, let's end it this way. Let's end our listener segment this way. Uh, I have here a booster pack of something called Kamigawa Neon Dynasty Magic. Is that any good? Is that a good one? Yeah, it's got let's great see. art. If it's a, it's one of the collector's versions, some of the art cards... Oh, well, I just lost us millions of dollars because I'm opening it. Oh, (laughs) oh, gosh. What do we got? Oh, wow. This art is pretty good. Can you guys see this? Yeah, it's dope. Yeah. Oh, I like the shiny one. This one? (laughs) Is that the shiny one? Yeah. That one's got to be more valuable, right? I think this is just straight up art. Yeah, yeah. Um, That one's not valuable at all. It's just awesome. Matt, don't let Noel and I embarrass you here. I'm going to send you guys this on a. Yeah. Let's see, we got Find some the one that has a gold the, symbol. Or the rest a of them are nearly as shiny. Yeah. I like those. Uh, I go by magpie rules, y'all. Oh, <laughs> yeah. we got this one. Uh, Moon Circuit Hacker. It's kind of shiny. Nice. What's the oh. color of the symbol on the middle right hand side? Middle right. Oh, you're asking me colors. The show is over. You guys know I can't. It's see either those. it's either black, <laughs> silver, or gold. Okay. Well, I will. I will hit us up in the group text or the next time we hang out. But uh, as always, folks, thank you uh, so much for tuning in. Uh, we can't wait to hear from you. Big big thanks to Anon. Big big thanks to our billionaire hobbyist of the future, to Moshe, of course, and big big thanks to Captain Proton. Folks, you're the, our favorite part of the show, as we always say at the beginning and the end. We can't wait to hear from you. So picture us like a way cooler version of that Uncle Sam propaganda poster. We want you to be part of the conspiracy. Find us online. That's right. You can find us at the handle Conspiracy Stuff on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. We have a voicemail system. You can call it and we will hear your voice. Call 1-833-STDWYTK. When you call in, give yourself a cool nickname and let us know if we can use your voice and message on one of these listener mail episodes. If you've got more to say than can fit in that three minutes you got, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.